Hey, book lovers, welcome to another Adapted here at Book Circle Online. Today, we dissect the movie that you guys have probably seen a thousand times, but probably never read the source material. It's called The Princess Bride. Stay tuned. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy the credit song to the movie of The Princess Bride. Yes. May I introduce Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. And I'm Phil Svitek. Today we've got a great show for you. We're dissecting The Princess Bride. couple things to note right off the bat. Uh, we are spoiler-filled. We are going to reveal the plot. Uh, now, by the popularity of the movie... I can't imagine you not ever seeing The Princess Bride, but you have been warned. Uh, the good news is the book is quite similar to the movie. Therefore, if you know the movie, the book's already spoiled for you. So yep. there's a spoiler warning for both. Secondly, if you guys want to follow along, by all means, we post uh, a link in our description for you guys to follow along. It's a PDF. and It is our various research, so you guys can dig a little bit deeper. Um now, the way we cover these, we, we talk about the, the book, obviously, and the source material, uh, the how and the why was written and so forth, talk about our favorite plot lines, and then we transition into the movie, how the movie was made and why it was made and so on and so forth. Before we get into any of that, though, we have to start with overall impression. So, Marissa, your overall impression for this book. Well, first of all, I love the movie. So I was really excited to read the book. And then while I was reading it, I was laughing a lot. And I actually wasn't expecting it. I mean, yeah, the movie's funny. But then the actual written dialogue in the book is also funny. And so I found myself laughing out loud several different times. And I love the narrative and I love the storytelling aspect of how in which it was uh, written. So I really enjoyed that. And then while I was reading, I really loved that the movie stays pretty pretty true to the book too so i appreciated the book even more so and the movie even more so because they really do go hand in hand and very rarely do we see movies adapted almost as close to the book yeah well well, what what certainly helps that aspect and we'll talk about a lot more is the fact that the author of the book is the same one as the movie and that helps (laughs) that certainly does sometimes sometimes it can go backfire yeah that's true so as far as for me, I really enjoyed the work itself. Uh, I too was laughing a lot, a lot of great dialogue, a lot of great devices, both in terms of uh, like the literary aspects um, where y- certain characters will be doing something, but um, the information of who they are is withheld. And yet you kind of know, for example, when they go see Miracle um, Max, <laughs> Miracle Max, uh, at first it's not told that it's the, that it's the Spaniard and of course our giant mm-hmm. but just by the simple descriptions and everything else before it you kind of know and it's just still playful though to, to describe it in the terms that he does uh, one of the more challenging aspects that I found that I didn't realize until very recently and this kind of gets into the backstory of the book is I have the 25th year anniversary edition and that thing is plastered with the notion that the princess bride a tale of love and adventure blah 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 by s morgan stern uh as abridged by william goldman let me be clear (laughs) from the start william goldman is the one who actually wrote this damn book 
Yes. Yes. And I mean damn lovingly. <laughs> and and that's interesting because you had a quote unquote abridged version. I actually have the first edition version. Uh and I'm, you know, pretty stoked about that. And so in writing or reading the book, I didn't realize that there'd be actual like narrative breaks where mm-hmm. the the author comes in like, you don't need to read these 60 pages. It's all superfluous dialogue and fluff. We're just going to skip to this part over and over again. And I actually enjoyed it and I thought it was funny. And then like listening to you hearing that you're abridged quote unquote version, it was kind of the same. I was like, I think it was supposed to be that way. Yeah, the, the the book. So the book uses a literary device that I've never seen before, where the author abridges this book. Now he does he does it in such a way that he's abridging someone else's quote unquote work, even though it's his own. And so you had a much better understanding of it, and you told me you were reading that book, and I was like, well, crap. I'm reading the abridged version of the book. <laughs> well, I don't know where else to get the actual book. Everything I look up is the abridged version. Mm-hmm. So I said, all right, screw it. I'll just read the abridged version, which it's, is it's the it's real version. Very much the same. It, it is literally yeah. the same. <laughs> exactly. So, And I think it's, it's funny because most books aren't written like that, you know, with the intention of you know, breaking up the storyline with the author's voice in between. And because out of all the books that we've covered so far, none of the books have had that type of storytelling aspect. So, yeah, I understand <laughs> where the confusion lies. But it actually adds more to the story, too, because the way he bridges it and be like, you, like, this is just details of the wedding preparation, that they had to get all this food, all these people. And it's like, you don't really want to read that. So... In a way, he describes just a little bit enough there you can still imagine what's happening, but not reading detail word for word. Yeah. The way I look at it, it's almost like I feel cheated somehow, like I know the magician's trick. Mm. Because it's a lot more funnier in a sense when, we, if, if you really read the book, like there, there's parts where um, he talks about there's a there's a reunion scene between uh, Buttercup and... and um, uh, our, our our main protagonist, right? Wesley. Wesley. And we don't get their initial reunion at all. Now, he cuts in as himself, William Goldman, and says, uh, Morganston decided to not have this be in the book. Now, his wife urged him to have it be in the book, but Morganston decided for not to be in the book. Mm-hmm. And it's a commentary that's completely false. It is because we know how the the story and movie actually ends is that they ride off into the sunset. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, so I, I, I loved aspects of those, and even, so so there's that literary device, and the other sort of big one that I appreciate and want to get your thoughts on is this notion that, um, I think you're adjusting my headphone volume, that's a little <laughs> behind the scenes there for you, uh, was the fact of, for example, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think, like, like bicycles weren't invented till years later. Mm-hmm. This takes place years before the bike, but after meat was invented or something like that. He always comments on like these things, and it's like, huh, interesting. Right, and there are some popular culture references in the book, so you can definitely tell it was around the seventies time. Um, like, there's a movie or an actor he might drop a name of. You're like, oh, okay, you understand the time period in which the comedy is coming from, but. 
e- even that like doesn't deter away from the the timelessness of what the actual fantasy story is. Yeah, it's very much a in essence a parody of any other sort of love story. Uh and this is where it gets quite interesting because there's multiple interviews on record of him saying that he wrote this his son was an inspiration for this and you know he has a wife who's a psychiatrist none of that is real <laughs> either he actually has two daughters and his wife is not a psychiatrist uh, where the the root um now mind you this could be completely <laughs> false too but the root of it his daughters at the time were four and seven this is back in you know 1970s mm-hmm. and they asked him to tell them a story uh one of the daughters asked can you tell me a story about princesses and the other one said tell me a story about brides and then he started just you know saying this story as like a thing and and because he's telling it to very young children he just used ridiculous names like buttercup and humperdink (laughs) humperdink um and that's where the inspiration came from and then he tried to put it to pen to paper and he found that he just was hating on the idea and he said well what if i just skipped a couple of things Mm-hmm. And that's where the inception of that came in. Right. And so so there's a lot of different versions of how it actually conceptualized um, the book. And also in in my version of the book, <laughs> I have the first edition, so I imagine it's the, the more legit version. Um, no offense to yours, but the, it has it more details that the, the first 20 pages of this book actually has a whole following of a father trying to track down this book, The Princess Bride, by, quote, S. Morganson. Mm-hmm. Um, he wanted to buy this book, and he was, like, traveling to New York, and he was crossing the country literally to track down this book and get it for his son for his birthday so he could read it to him. And that story kind of more, you know, aligns with what's actually happening in the story slash movie. Yeah. Yeah, I had that part too, and I read a little bit of it, but I was like, okay, this is this has nothing to do with the story, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm going to skip this part. So it, 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 it's a technique. I'm just in awe of it. I really do feel duped in the best way possible. But also, it's kind of brilliant too, in a way, where the first 20 pages is literally telling the, the audience, is conditioning the audience that this book is so good and so classic that a man crossed the country to track it down to read it to his son. Like, it's already such a well-known, famous book that he had to get it. Yeah. It, it, it is, when you put it in that context, it is rather brilliant because then it sets you up to love the book. And now, mind you, what follows, luckily, he's able to fall on his sword and what, quote-unquote, Morgan Stern did right which is not Morgan Stern, is very brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it's it's smart in a very comedic way. And he knows exactly, like, pretty much beat by beat, the movie matches the book, right? And now where it deviates is we get a lot more backstory. And I actually, I have a newfound love for The Princess Bride, and I think, to me, the book is in a sense, as great as the movie, is far better than the movie. Mm-hmm. And it knows when to take those pauses. Um, when we first meet the initial three antagonists of um, Vizini, um, the Spaniard... Isaac and Inigo. Yeah. We we get their backstory, and he, he knows how to pace it in such a way where it doesn't detract from us moving forward. No, and I, and I love it, too, because it goes along with the storyline, because 
when you watch the movie and read the stories, we have Wesley faces each of them basically individually on their own time. But every time he's with said one person, then we get the backstory of that person that he's facing. And it we understand where they're coming from. And I like in the movie, they kind of touched a little bit about it. But in the book, we definitely got way more backstory on Inigo. And I think Inigo definitely has one of the more iconic uh, lines from the movie and the book. So, like, to understand where Inigo's motivation really stems from, I appreciate that. Yeah, and it really sets up... He becomes the the secondary character to Wesley and the love story. You know, the fact that he gets his revenge by the end against the uh, six-fingered man, Count. Count Rugen. Um, and, and even... Yeah, the book just really fleshes these characters out in a much, much more vivid way. Even Count Rugen, that initial telling of him and, and introducing him as the six-fingered person and the fact that we it is revealed that he is, um, you know, this character and that, that he's fascinated by torture mm-hmm. and the way that plays out, uh, I think, speaks really well and is really well done overall. Right, and the backstories of just, you know, Fezzik and Vizzini, even Fezzik's storyline, you feel for him. Because in the movie, yeah, he, he's a fun giant that's, you know, just there doing the, the heavy lifting for everybody because he's so strong. But giving him a backstory where you empathize with him as a child, he he was super strong. A lot of people made fun. He was bullied and stuff. And then, like, you understand why he's so big and so strong. But the reasons why he doesn't really want to hurt anyone because he was forced to do it as a kid. So, like, even that made, like, humanized him a bit for the audience to like him anymore. I can't really say that Fezzik, Fizzini, and Nigo are antagonists because they really aren't when you learn their backstories. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things as far as like Fezzik, the, you, you understand what makes it very tragic is the fact that he, it, it's not dumb because he's just a dumb person. It's, he never got the education. He never had an opportunity at an education. And then, yeah, coupled with probably getting hit in the head multiple times with God knows what, probably even rocks and anything else, right. clubs and so forth. Yeah, that, that. That certainly knocks you down a peg. Right, and also that, like, just his upbringing from his parents exploited his strength and ability. So you just feel bad. That's why he, you, you never see him with parents. You see him with friends and people who actually encouraged him rather than use his strength for, for bad. He uses it for good. Absolutely. Inconceivable. Inconceivable. <laughs> um, you know, and, and what I appreciate, like, even all those the little quirks, though, of the book did get transferred to the movie. Um, but I want to start with the love story because it's so integral to both. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, I don't know. Like, it's it's the more far-fetched thing of it, of this idea that you just have to believe in true love and that um, Wesley just has always loved Buttercup no matter what, even though she's kind of a ditz. <laughs> A, a little bit, but also I think the the blossoming of a young true love, loving someone from afar and until you finally, you know, work up the courage to say that you do. But then once that happens and you're separated, uh, separation, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And we definitely saw that in the stories that they were apart for a few years or so. And, but he loved her even more after they reunite so it I, I think it's just that old love loving from afar but like still will go out of your way to save you 
Yeah. I pure love. Yeah, well, you know, one of the things I appreciate in the book, and I wish it went kind of for, like, Buttercup was really her own person, and she didn't care what others think. Like, she had this amazing, radiant beauty that everyone, you know, the, the older she got, the more beautiful she ranked, quite literally, in the book. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting, because that at no point ever mattered to her. And so I thought, you know, she'd kind of be like a Belle from Beauty and the Beast, where she would have a little bit more intelligence. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, the, if I had any sort of disappointment, it would be that. Right. But it also, it just sets the, the, the two complete opposites in the, the storytelling and like the motivations between uh, Prince Humperdinck. He wanted only to marry her to be married to the most beautiful person in the land um, compared to Wesley, who wanted to marry her just out of true love. And so you get the superficial with the actual deepness mm-hmm. of, of love. And I, I like those two contrasting things for the same woman. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, what I appreciate with Humper, like even Humperdinck's sort of backstory. First off, the the, the way they describe this land, <laughs> even that is fictional, and yet I bought into it because it's just the way of, it was just so magically described. Right, and and I liked how they kind of like set up because it is a kingdom. It is like medieval time ish, um, that time period. So there, there's always like lands warring with each other and i liked how he used the land of florin and gildan against each other for his own benefit um and so he can rule the land and it's it's like someone of royalty or someone who's just power driven really to to keep his place at the top tier of be above everybody else like how he would use different lands against each other for his own personal gain yeah, and he, he was a great huntsman um, that played into it, and, uh, you know, his ambition was really more sport than anything else. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, sports and appearance, which, uh, you know, if you kind of look at the themes of the book, uh, outer appearance, and not just like physical appearance, but how you are perceived outwardly is a huge part of it um, that I thought about before we, you know, did the show. There's obviously Humperdinck, and he must to to his kingdom appear a certain way right that the whole plot of him stealing buttercup and wanting her to die is for that exact purpose and then uh wesley low all of a sudden becomes pirate roberts for the sheer fact that by saying pirate roberts it strikes fear versus who the hell is wesley (laughs) right the man clad in black you know her dressed in black and i liked how they did use you know some symbolism with you know beauty and darkness and black would symbolize evil or 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 something at least mysterious enough that you don't trust it and but also it it's they write it in a way where it's understandable good versus evil especially when you're telling story to kids you have to kind of make it black and white yeah but you know the, the fact that it still manages to do a good switch uh because you know, much like in the movie, Humperdinck is not made out initially to be an evil character. Uh, Count Rugen, we don't know that he's the six-fingered man until much later. Mm-hmm. Um, all we know, I mean, the reason I describe our three characters as antagonists is because they're stealing away the princess bride. They're kidnapping the princess, so you think that they're bad on some level. And so and that's a brilliant kind of just switch um, bait and switch, if you will. 
Yeah, you could call them the heroes. By the end, they certainly they are. are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they 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 redeem themselves. They they get together. I mean, as much as it's about love, it's also about friendship. Yeah, it's definitely about friendship. Because even with uh, Inigo versus Wesley, that that didn't start off as a friendship. I mean, they started off as a sword fight, but then later on, where you see Wesley like pretty much spares all of their lives, he could have killed them, but he didn't. Um, you, you see the friendship building as they're working together, working out their plans to stop the wedding and all that. Like you, you see a natural like brotherhood bromance, yeah. <laughs> you can say, um, formating of you know. You know, for me. And the only one he does end up disposing of is Vizzini. And uh, that I think mainly because at that point, number one, you have to sort of replace him from a device, from a story device standpoint. But also, Vizzini at the end of the day was just kind of too arrogant. Yeah, way too arrogant. Uh, which is inconceivable, I know. <laughs> but he just had a dizzying intellect. <laughs> the battle of wits. Um, that was the to me that because of his arrogance, that's one of the more funny scenes in the entire book slash movie. Right, it's the irony that makes it funny because he thinks he's so smart, but yet it was his own wits that essentially killed him. Yeah, and and I like that because the iocane powder uh, that is obviously something fictional, but that was something that Wesley used to build his immune tolerance and all that. It's like, how would he know that he was going to do a battle of wits and drink poison? Like, I'm just going to build up my tolerance because one day I might get into this. I mean, That's funny. Wesley, for all intents and purposes, really is like a superhero. He's mm-hmm. like... The, the Spaniard is one of the greatest sword fighters. He's a, he's not even what do they call him? He's a, he's not a master, but he's even a level above master, right? right. Well, what the hell's Wesley? Because he has a pretty good number on him. Uh, he obviously makes do with the giant, and yeah, I, I think so. It, it's interesting. I, I love Wesley for those reasons because he is in an essence larger than life. Right. And I think it's cool because, you know, the way that they, you know, build up Wesley is that the, his first establishment is that he's just a a stable boy who's mm-hmm. doing random odd jobs. You would never think that he could, not to sound terrible, that he would amount to have all these amazing skills that could save his life and, and save other people, too. So the, just his simple, humble beginnings wouldn't lead the audience to believe like oh yeah he also knows how to you know fight with swords he he knows how to you know wrestle or whatever use his brute strength and stuff so like we, the audience never under like got any recollection that he would have this hidden skill set yeah and that's the, the book does a wonderful job of really elevating that because his time with "Quote unquote pirate Roberts, who's not the actual pirate Roberts, hmm. is is really well detailed and it's, and it's glossed over in the movie. Certainly, when he explains it to Buttercup, but the way he goes about it and says, you know, during my time as a stable boy, I learned to basically no, get no, not a lot of sleep, and so that allows him to continue his education while being a pirate. And that sort of that that's the backstory and explains why he is the skilled at all these things, right." 
And, and you know, that also, it, learning that also makes you appreciate what Inigo did because after the death of his father, he spent 20 years building his, his hand strength and swordsmanship and, and all that. So, like, you understand why people, or why these two trained the way that they did. Absolutely. All right, so why don't we transition a little over to the movie side of things. So Rob Reiner is the director of this, and he read the the book back in 1971. Um, and he was friendly with Goldman. Goldman, in essence, he's written a few books, but he's really more known for his scripts. Yeah, screenwriting. Uh, do you want to give a little context to that? Because he's... He's quite a successful guy pre-Princess Bride. Yeah, so uh, Goldman, known for writing like uh, Bush Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, All the President's Men. Um, great movies from the 70s, like iconic movies now. So he, he had the, the script writing ability f- for that, made friends with Carl Reiner. Um, Rob Reiner. Yeah, no, Rob Reiner, sorry. Uh, and and like he just hit it up because this book... It actually took them about 14 years to try to actually successfully adapt it from book to movie. It's gone through the process of so many other different famous directors, like Francis Tufro at one point was um, attached, Robert Redford, also big in the 70s and 80s, Norman Jewison, John Borman. So it's been through the hands of a lot of different, actually um, well-established directors, but they just couldn't get all the pieces together right so so it was um failed attempts multiple failed attempts but reiner he he got his cast and crew that he he wanted and it's just and he understood the the comedy aspect um from goldsman and, it, and somehow he made it work he did and you know one of the biggest things they were able to pull off was to get andre the giant to play uh fezzik because that you know, I know you're not a wrestling person, but he, like, this was at the height of what he was doing as far as wrestling. Like, this is, this in essence was like getting Will Smith to play uh, a side role. Uh-huh. If you kind of want to think of it that way, you know? Um, which is interesting. And all these actors, obviously, very well known at this point, uh, but some of them starting off and so forth. And like, like I mentioned at the top, the fact that Goldman wrote the book but then was able to do the the screenplay i think helped and he used the the device of um in the book it's more about a father telling the son the mm-hmm. book uh in the movie it's a grandfather telling his grandson who happens to be sick which i thought worked out quite well it works too because you know you can kind of understand it or take it at least a little bit more seriously if a grandfather's like, no, it's like, this God's honest truth, this is the greatest story ever. So you can understand if, like, an elder is telling you that this is a great story, then yeah, I'm, I'm sure it is. And and I like that. That's not too far off of what actually happens in the book. I didn't mind it no. at all. And what's great, like, by inserting that in, it in essence creates the narrator, like, like with the book, the way Goldman comes in and out and says, you know, this part's boring. So in the movie sense, you can skip a couple of scenes and the grandfather, all he has to say is one or two things. And that's that. We can move on. Oh, is this the kissing part? Uh, let's skip over this. Right. 
Uh, but it's very true to just the common dialogue that a little 10-year-old boy would say. That they don't want to listen to the making out part. That is gross. Skip it. And I like that. The, the, the breaks in between because it does actually translate very well from a book to a movie. In that sense. And just the in an act dialogue break. Yeah, if nothing else, it, it really heightens all the, the lines of the book that are so wonderful and brings them to fruition because it... it it kind of trims everything else, which yeah, the, what, what's trimmed is wonderful. But the whole inconceivable bit and the whole uh, "My name is Ingo Matoya, um, mm-hmm. you killed my father, prepare to die." Like they, they become such iconic lines because of what's that's what ends up being left. Right, and you know, adding the 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 kids' dialogue in between is also he's basically the voice of the common audience like the mm-hmm. common kids that would be watching like that's not real or that's a dream i knew it was a dream you know and like it in in a, you know some shape and form it does add more comedy too because th- it adds to the self-awareness it doesn't that's what's so brilliant about this book is that it it takes all these rather generic tropes and is able to just satirize them or parody them uh, quite wonderfully. And uh, it just makes it so much enjoyable because you can tell whether in the book, like the author or in the movie, all the actors, the director, they're just having fun with the material. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, be like, no, you already read this part. Go back. <laughs> um, and I like that because it does help bridge, you know, present day to a story time and like just help transition from location to location because it is an adventurous story they are traveling constantly so and i like how it just like seamlessly brings you to the next situation that they're about to face and yeah as far as the movie and i guess the you know the book helps pace it in this way none of the scenes like if you think about it they're quite long we don't in the movie we don't necessarily get too too many scenes we let each scene play out for as long as we need to mm-hmm uh, like think about uh, think about the the poison scene, right? That almost feels like it's five minutes. Not it's not literally five minutes, but it's actually quite long because it you know you get the you get the vista shot, you get them going through pretty much almost almost every single line of dialogue that the book presents. Yeah, there's a lot of dialogue and a lot of inconceivable, <laughs> yeah. um, and I like that because it when you just watch it or listen to it via dialogue, it's just a regular conversation where it only would take essentially three minutes but it not once is it ever like slow or boring where it loses your attention and i think that's why this movie is also great because and iconic in that way there's always every scene there's literally a funny moment it's something you can take away from and something that's iconic um not once is it ever boring or loses the audience's attention not at all and what i appreciate like for all intents and purposes, like the the movie does look great, but it something feels like it's not a hundred percent. Like it feels like an old. You, you get what I'm saying. Like the production design is slightly lacking something, and yet that's part of like the joke. Almost not to the same level of let's say Monty Python and the Holy Grail, <laughs> but you you can see sort of a remnant of that. Yeah, well, you can definitely tell, like, some are definitely practical sets compared to the vastness of open land of a kingdom, you know? So, like, you, you do have to realize this is a fantasy. So in some parts you have to, you know, um, 
suspend your disbelief in that. But it doesn't really take away from the story of what's happening in each location. Like, Cliffs of Insanity, we mm-hmm. definitely got a very detailed description of Fezzik climbing, but the black, the guy clad in black is, you know, also following. Uh, so, like, it built a lot of tension of he's getting closer, 20 feet, 10 feet, you know. Um, and so... Just seeing that also translates very well on screen. But the, every sequence is only about, like, five minutes each. And people's attention span can still last for five minutes. You would hope so. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Today's Instagram world, who it's knows? 15 seconds now. Uh, quicker than that, because you get the ability to skip. Anyway, yeah, we digress. <laughs> uh, needless to say, it, it, it takes the opportunity, like... You're you're talking about the cliff scene, so you get you get the danger of them climbing, but then Inago is told, okay, here's what you have to do: take care of him. We're gonna go off, and in essence, they have that whole exchange, like, hey, come up here, help me out, and then I could kill you here. But you know, like, let's figure this out. This is taking too long. I don't want to wait that long for you to come up here so I can kill you. Like, yes, you lower the rope. We we can speed this process up a little faster. And I, I, again, with the the self realization of what they're actually doing, um, and I did like that because you can tell that these aren't bad guys. They're just let's fight because it's just the formality of in the nature of what in which the situation is. Yeah, I, I forget the exact line, but it's essentially like it's a shame I have to kill you because I've grown to like you. Oh, is that? It's like you seem like a decent man. I'd hate to kill you. You seem like a decent man. I hate to die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, so good. Yeah, so many good lines. Where did he come up with all this? But and I, I like that's that's in the book that's translated to the movie. There's a lot of the dialogue is actually word for word, and I, I have to give it to them that they they kept the dialogue pretty almost spot on yeah i mean if it works why mess with it yeah Uh, yeah the 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 book is very visual in that sense and the only stuff that gets cut really from the movie is the backstory stuff and that gets transferred to the movie via via dialogue so uh when he's fighting andre the giant uh fezzik you know he says ah i'm so used to fighting multiple men that now I have to fight a single guy and I'm out of practice. Well, that's the backstory. And so he's able to summarize it in that one way. But but the book really is visual and follows pretty chronologically as far as what's happening. So it yeah. makes it very easy to translate to screen. Yeah, it literally goes from place to place to place. And I like that. It helps with the pacing, too. It does. Um you know, one of my favorite parts was when, when Buttercup realizes what is happening. Like, all the ships will be there all but four. Um. You, right? Uh, yes, yes, all but four. <laughs> all but four. Um, I did love Buttercup because you, you can see that, I mean, with today's 21st century and Me Too movement now, you can see women roles and characters are a lot stronger now. They can stand on their own and they they don't need to be saved um but this i'll I'll forgive it because wesley is the knight in shining armor so to speak and she is the damsel in dis in distress but that is the purpose of her character it's like she has to be helpless so wesley can save her then that i didn't mind actually yeah and if you really think about it like he's commentating on as if this was written 
in like whatever the renaissance period or something like that so you know unfortunately this was the thinking back then yeah it was and definitely even in the 70s the 1970s when you know they're like the 80s now um when the movie was made compared to when the book was written in the 70s like that's also how women roles were um the women are the the damsels in distress unfortunately yes We've come a long way since. Well, hey, you know, as far as Robin Wright, who portrayed Buttercup, you know, she, I think she's she's a badass woman. She's Yeah, and she's awesome now because this was her first major role. Like, the movie literally says, and introducing Robin Wright, and you're like, wow, um, this was her first debut. And now, now knowing who she is now in today's society, like, she huge amazing actress amazing movies and television shows like she's also come a long way and i like how the movies back in the 70s yes sorry the movie back in the 80s casted a lot of people who were big in their careers in the 80s like billy crystal was also in this Hmm. movie um so like you have big name actors then but now it's still relevant when you watch it because uh mandy patinkin's still working Robin Wright, still working. Billy Crystal, still a comedian. You know, the, like, there's still reputable names in this movie. Yeah, so let's let's talk about each of them. I mean, for all intents and purposes, I thought this... I've never seen... I'd have to really rack my brain at translating the characters from the page to the screen. Everyone... Everyone seemed to fit. Like, when they... they Billy Crystal, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, Billy Crystal wants to be in the movie. Well, no, he is Miracle Max. Yeah. He's perfect. Uh, you know. I, and it helps uh, with his dialogue, too, because apparently, yes, a lot of dialogue was word for word, but Billy Crystal's, because he is a comedian, he added a lot of improv, which made his character even more funny. Mm-hmm. But actually, the only injury, quote unquote, sustained on the set was from Mandy Patinkin bruising a rib only because he was stifling his laugh because Billy Crystal was making him laugh so hard. You would think it was the sword fight that would in- get, cause an injury. It was actually him trying not to laugh as hard. So yeah. it, it just shows like how fun that set must have been when they were filming. For a quick behind the scenes, it's like the, the actual fight itself is primarily stunt doubles, believe it or not. Uh, it was shot on two mirrored sets to allow the cast to fight left-handed. Actually, they um, so Car- Carrie, Carrie and Mandy Patinkin they they actually trained under the tutelage of the swordsman. I I have it in my notes here. Um, the 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 choreographer for Star Wars, which were obviously big movies back in the seventies and eighties as well. They trained for months, and they actually did the swords fight. They got so good at it, actually, that um, once the the fight was done, it only lasted a minute. It was so fast. And the director, he was like, no, it has to be longer. This is an epic <laughs> battle. It can't only last a minute. So they extended the set so they can move around even more. And have more choreography to the and, and the actual fight lasts about three and a half minutes. And so they had extended because they were so good at fighting hmm. that they had to keep fighting. Yeah, that that scene in particular is 
is funny because it, it's able to translate the spirit of the book where where the book kind of identifies all the techniques that, that they're using to fight and it just kind of attributes it to dialogue in the movie. Oh, you're using this technique. Ah, oh, how very clever of you. But of course, it works in this way. But you would know that it only works if the person is able to do a backflip, mm-hmm. which I, of course, can. And and the the the, the footwork, and I like how the in the the book there's actual technical terms for it, and that translated to the movie. But also the moments where there's like I I know something you don't. I'm I'm not left-handed. That and they also did train left-handed, um, but because they were so good at fencing that they both each uh, Carrie and Mandy had to learn each other's fighting. Um, moves so there wouldn't be a mistake on set so they could anticipate the person's next move because they knew their choreography as well Mm -hmm. makes sense makes sense who who is your favorite character from the movie oh i love inigo of course Mm -hmm. inigo it's just like his character was a you know iconic lines um learning about his backstory now in the book made me feel for him even more and then the fact that he's the one that like comes back in the end to help save wesley to save the girl like he's the one that goes away for a little bit and then comes back like you kind of just love this guy because there's really nothing about his character that that's dislikable yeah yeah he's uh he's a very iconic character um i'm trying to think like they were all just so good like I even like um, Yellen, <laughs> Yellen being kind of the more of the lesser characters. He's he's the servant to the prince, um, but I just the way they did all the characters translated so well, and I'm just in awe. Um, Wallace Shawn, I, I I like Vizzini just because he's just out of all the three of the of of those characters, he's the one who is so just ridiculous <laughs> just doesn't have any sort of humility whatsoever and as as we talked about a little bit earlier it's what does him in yeah and the the cool thing about uh Wallace Shawn was that he wasn't actually the first choice um to to play this role uh but uh Rob the director really liked him so much because of his voice he had the voice of Vizzini and Wallace, because knowing that he wasn't the first choice, he, he every day he, he just came to say, he's like, I'm going to kill it. I'm going to do awesome. But you can you might be able to tell when you're watching the film that he's always sweating because he was so nervous that he was going to get fired at any moment because knowing he wasn't the first choice. So he's like, I, I have to do my best and bring my A game. And uh, it actually worked because his character like really had to nail the inconceivable like the the really annoying obnoxious voice and apparently he he had it. Yeah. Good good for him absolutely. Yeah, he's yeah. like I said one of my more favorite parts of it. Um All right. Any final thoughts before we wrap up this dissection of book/movie? Well, I'm really glad that I read the book because I, I've always loved the movie. I, I've seen it so many times. I even like we even watched it one day together hmm. a, a long time ago. So it's just it's so iconic now in popular culture because it wasn't a success box office numbers. Um, Not at all. Originally, I mean, after 11 weeks, it only made 25.5 million only, um, but it obviously did better in you know. 
home video after after the fact. But just it is a timeless story. You can watch this at any time of the year, and it's fun. It's hilarious, and you can pass this to your grandkids and be like, watch this, read this book, watch this movie, and they'll enjoy it too. Absolutely. I, th- I think that's that's a joy that I look forward to. Let's just leave it, leave yeah. it there. Uh, and yeah, I, I'm very glad that I, I thought the writing itself was just so funny all around, whether it was the dialogue, whether it was the way he describes certain things. Uh, just Just brilliant, brilliant. And hopefully, if you haven't read the book, this inspires you to read the book. Yes, you'll know what happens, but that's okay. That's not the point. The point is just to have fun with it. Uh, Speaking of fun, next month, the book that we will be doing is called Peter Pan. Peter Pan. So this one's going to be interesting because this is riddled with history. Um, Peter Pan was also a play and... Uh, now, obviously, there's been so many adaptations of Peter Pan as a movie mm-hmm. um, that there's just so much to talk about. So I can't wait to sort of get into all of that. And uh, I highly, highly encourage you to start doing your homework and watch every Pan movie, including yes. Hook. Every every Pan adaptation and even uh, Finding Neverland, which is like the story of how the the inspiration behind Peter Pan, like they even made a movie about the movie. And so like those I appreciate. And it's 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 cool to see like the older versions to now. And this is a play adaptation yeah. compared to a book adaptation. So, I mean, I mean, they it did translate into a book, but it started off as a play. Yeah. And uh, what's what's the very famous one? Mary something the the musical play that there was a tv special anyway oh goodness well you'll find out you'll find out next time won't you because we'll Mm -hmm. be talking about it um and also i encourage you there's there's a it's a british two-part kind of movie it's called neverland it's an interesting alternate take on how peter pan became peter pan so that's worth checking out it's just so much lore regarding peter pan Mm mm-hmm so we're, we're going to talk all about it from the source material, or at least the source material after the play. <laughs> yes. Um, and there are differences, mind you. There are differences. Like, so many. Like, for example, I already know that never. it used to be called Never, Never, Neverland. Mm-hmm. And then we just shortened it to Neverland. Yeah. And we get into Wendy's and her kids, let alone just Wendy herself. So <laughs> many. <laughs> Anyway, we'll save that for next time. In the meantime, that gives you a month to read the book, catch up. Uh, Hopefully you've enjoyed The Princess Bride, an iconic movie, as well as an iconic book. So reading is not dead. I do encourage you to read the book if you haven't. On behalf of at Serafini TV, that's where you can interact with Marissa. That's right. If you love all things book as well, uh, she does One Calls the Heart, which is a book series. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Adapted into television series. Yeah, so something a little bit different. That's over on AfterBuzzTV.com. Also, if you love movies, which I imagine there's a part of you at least (laughs) that does, we do Anatomy of a Movie where we talk about movies every Friday, uh, generally the ones that have come out more recently, but but we do talk about adaptations there. Um, So we try to reserve this show particularly for, you know, movies of the past. Retro. Yes. Uh, am I missing anything else? Nope. Just get to reading. There you go. I'm at Phil Svitek. Thanks for joining us and check out other Book Circle Online shows. In fact, Marissa, see, I am forgetting. She recently <laughs> did an interview with one of our very own hosts, Katarina Kozias. 
So you yes. can check out that interview on this network as well. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next month. Bye. From executive producers Kevin Undergaro, Maria Menounos, and Jeffrey Masters, thanks for tuning in to Book Circle Online. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment. To suggest a book title or their author, you can tweet us at Book Circle On. This is Book Circle Online. Thanks for tuning in.